It's great to have you here. Um, as I mentioned at the start, particularly if this is your first time with us, it's just great uh, that you've, you know, you're, you're with us. Um, we'd love you to come back. Uh, we meet here every Sunday um, at 10.30 in the morning. Uh, with that said, our next sort of uh, formal, our next proper Sunday morning service is going to be Sunday the 7th of January. Um, so don't, don't turn up at 10.30 next week because we'll not be here. Um, but uh, top marks for enthusiasm. Um, but I would love to invite you back and um, uh, get, to, get to know you a little better in, in January. Um, also on your seat, you'll notice there's a little uh, yellow cards. We're going to think about that in a few moments, and I'll point you in that direction. Um, but we're running, uh, starting in January, a course. It's called the 321 course. It's a four-week course, ironically. It's a four-week course, uh, really looking at the, uh, the core uh, teachings of what it is to be a Christian, what, what does the Bible teach, um, and it's an, an opportunity for you to ask questions maybe uh, that you've always wanted to ask but never known how or where. That's what this course is designed for. Um, so right now what we're doing is just asking if you're interested in learning more or even indeed in signing up. You can um, see on the back of the yellow service sheets, sorry, on the yellow cards, um, and there's an opportunity for you to write your name and your contact details, and someone from uh, the, the leadership team will be in touch with you and uh, we'll let you know about the details thereafter. So at this stage, just registering your interest. And there's a couple of options at the back as well, some little uh, places to leave the cards on the trays um, as well when you're, when you're done. Anyway, um, what I'm going to do over these next few moments is try uh, and tie together some of the things we've just heard read to us and some of the things we've actually been singing in those first two carols. So really, I suppose what I'm doing is, is summarizing what we've already um, heard in some form or other. And I suppose um, what I'd like to do is start uh, with a question and... and, and um, you know, you, you'll have a different answer to this, I suppose, depending on your, 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 uh, your, your take on life in general. But what would you say is the point um, of Christmas? Someone asked you that. What's the point of Christmas? What would you say? Uh, what, would you, what answer would you give? For many people, it's a time simply to gather together for family, to enjoy, you know, giving and receiving presents, to have some food, you know, plenty of rich food and drink and all the rest of it. Um, others, you, you may get responses from other people just a bit skeptical about the whole idea of Christmas. You know, it's just a, an opportunity for big businesses to make money and, uh, you know, uh, relieve, of, relieve us of our hard-earned cash. For other people, um, Christmas is, is not a good time. You know, it's a time of, of stress. And, and challenge, and debt, and, and, and other pressures in life seem to sort of rear their heads, often at Christmas time. Um, there was a poll in, uh, on Money Saving Expert. I don't know if you visit that website at all to get a you know, cheap deal on your, on your mobile phone or whatever, but Money Saving Expert asked this question, if you could, would you cancel Christmas? And uh, there were 17, over 17,000 people uh, answered the question and divided into roughly 11 groups based on age and gender, religion, all the rest of it. The only group that voted to keep Christmas were the parents of school-aged children or younger. Everybody else said, no, don't bother. So if you're a single person, if your kids are grown up, if you're a grandparent, uh, those of different religions... Uh, if you had have answered in the money-saving expert poll, um, 84% of people said, let's just not bother with Christmas. Let's just get through to January. Um, hopefully that will cheer you up. Um, but I want to hopefully just give some context about why we're gathering here this morning. Uh, and and uh, we're going to just try and remind ourselves, I suppose, of, of the Christmas story again. But why, why do we do this? You know, why do we sing? Why do we sing these uh, carols and read these verses together. Is there anything in it? 
Is it, is it worth it? Is it worth our while? Or should we, as the polls suggest, just cancel Christmas and get on with January? So what I want to do over the next few moments with you um, is I want to try and sort of um, establish, first of all, number one, that Christmas happened. Uh, secondly, I want to argue and explain why Christmas happened. And thirdly, I want to hopefully leave you with some options about how to get into the Christmas spirit. Okay, uh, so first of all, that Christmas happened because before we, uh, I suppose, look at the significance or the meaning of Christmas, we have to establish that it actually, or whether it actually happened or not, because if it didn't, then it's just really a, a nice story, isn't it? It's a fable, um, a, a, a fairy tale, maybe like reading Charles Dickens or watching a Christmas movie, but is there more to it than that? Is there more to the Christmas story? Because if Christmas didn't actually happen, then those people who answered the poll on Money Saving Expert are right. It is just a bit of time off work, isn't it? It's just a bit of uh, time to spend with family. But there's no actual content or basis to our celebration. But, and here's the big but, if Christmas actually did happen, as we are singing about and reading, then it does change everything. It's that significant. Um, all we know about the birth of, of Jesus comes from the passages that we've heard read to us this morning. Uh, and broadly speaking, from, from uh, Matthew's gospel in the, in, the, in the Bible and from Luke's gospel in the Bible. And you know, we get some information from elsewhere, but by and large, it comes from those two areas. And you've heard readings from both of them this morning. Um, Luke, for example, begins his gospel account, the book called Luke in the Bible, and, and, and he says at the beginning, I've investigated the eyewitness testimonies to what I'm about to tell you, he says. Um, I, I've, I've spoken to those who were there, those who heard the, these things, those who saw them with their own eyes. And I've presented my findings, he says, so that when you read what I've written, you might have certainty about the things concerning Jesus. Um, and so David's uh, reading, for example, uh, from Luke chapter 2 began in the days, I don't know if you heard this, in the days of Caesar Augustus, when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. That's not how you begin a fairy tale, <laughs> is it? Um, it's not just waffle. But this is the work of somebody who is looking at the historic details, who's locating the events of Jesus' birth in actual time, in actual space, in actual history. Um, so it doesn't begin once upon a time in a stable in Bethlehem, but it begins in the days of Caesar Augustus. It states that these other things were happening in the world. This isn't just a, a made-up story. He's saying, mark the date that when all this took place. That's how Luke begins his gospel account. What about Matthew. Um, Jeff read from Matthew um, to us in our final reading. Well, the, the gospel writer called Matthew began his gospel account with a, with a family tree, with a genealogy, it's called. Um, and, and, and what he was doing was tracing the earthly line from Jesus' sort of earthly father, Joseph, all the way back through to the kings of Israel and even further back beyond that. And so what Matthew is doing when he starts his writing is he is saying Jesus didn't just arrive in a bubble out of heaven, disconnected to anything. Jesus has history. He has a family tree. He has lineage through his earthly father, Joseph. It didn't just happen out of the blue. So what's the point of, of, of highlighting all this? Well, the point is I want to try and leave you with is, is that the gospel writers considered what they were doing as reporting the facts. Um, this was not making up a nice story so that we could feel all warm and cozy in December. But they, they, they took time and care to record the narratives, not, not, not writing fairy tales. 
So the question is, I suppose, as you hear these things and as you hear me explain these things, what, what do you think of when you listen to these Bible readings? You've got them on your sheet, so if you missed them, you can, you can take the sheet home and go and look them up later if you want. Just Google the thing and it will come up. Um, when you hear these verses, what, what do you make of them? Or when you sing these carols, they just come across as fables or uh, you know, made-up stories, nice religious songs. Or do you understand them to be something real, something substantial, something that actually happened? Because if, if, if it happened as the Bible writers claim, and is there any good reason to believe it didn't, but if it did happen as they claim and as they write, if the records that we're reading are reliable, then let's just for a moment pull out some of the claims that are made about the significance of Christmas that we've just been hearing from our readings and from our carols, just so that we're clear we're talking about the same thing. I'm just going to list them out. Um, and some of these things came out of our readings. Uh, if Christmas actually happened, Christmas actually happened, the claim is that there is a promise of freedom from all of our enemies. If Christmas actually happened, there is a coming of world peace, the Prince of Peace, he's called. If Christmas actually happened, then there is a coming of a Savior who brings salvation and restoration and, and, and freedom and forgiveness. If Christmas actually happened, there is the coming of righteousness and justice. If Christmas actually happened, there is the coming of good news, which is great joy for all people. These are the claims of Christmas. I don't know where you are at personally with these things, whether this is the first time you've thought of them or maybe you used to believe and you sort of wandered away. I, I don't know what's going on in your life, especially um, at Christmas time. As we were thinking earlier, it's that season that can evoke a lot of bad stuff, you know, um, a lot of issues, a lot of experiences, bringing things to the surface that are, you know, quite happily buried for most of the year. Maybe that's what you come with this morning to church. But here's the thing I want to emphasize. Christmas is not only true, it's, it's good news. Do you need peace? Christmas is for you. Do you need joy? Christmas is for you. Do you need healing, restoration, forgiveness? Christmas is for you. Do you crave to live one day in a world defined by justice and right living, where there's no more war, no more poverty? Well, then Christmas is for you. That's what it's all about. And that is the basis of our celebration. That's why we gather on days like today and sing songs like we've just been singing, because it is such a big deal. So I've just been thinking that Christmas happens, historically. And if you believe that, it will change everything. But let's move on then to why Christmas happens. We've sort of maybe established some of the, the groundwork, I suppose. Um, what, why did Christmas happen? What was the, the need for it? Well, the, the scripture I read at the start uh, began from Isaiah 9, began saying this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This is good news. 
in Isaiah's world, that was Isaiah, the, the Hebrew prophet from many centuries before Jesus, um, he, his world was one of great uncertainty. Um, there was the fear of powerful nations sort of pressing down on the, on the people of Israel, uh, and a very much a sense among the people that God has abandoned them. You know, God has walked away when we needed him the most. Um, he's gone. We, we can't feel him. We can't see him. These other nations seem to be uh, imminently going to crush us into the ground. They knew that the world was not as it should be. And even though we ourselves today are, are removed in time and in situation, many, many centuries later, um, in a different culture and context and geography, we also can intuitively know that the world is not as it should be. I don't think it takes a, 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 a scientist or anything to work this out. We can all tell, can't we? Um, whether it's on the, on the global uh, scheme, I suppose, of, of war and poverty and, and the refugee crisis just filling up our TV screens or our news feeds on our, on our phone, it's just horrible. Um, whether it's political instability in our own uh, country, we know that this isn't how it should be. But yet we can go deeper still, can't we? We can look within. And we know this isn't how it should be, whether you have experienced maybe even very recently, some bereavements, uh, some tragedies in your family or your family circle, broken relationships, maybe you're struggling with ill health, financial problems, or even just a sense of emptiness. People look at you and, 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 and they think you've got it all sorted, and yet you know deep down that's not the case. You just feel empty, tired. No matter what angle we come at it, we all understand that things are not as they should be. And that there is something deeply wrong. But as Isaiah predicted many hundreds of years before Jesus, light is coming. No more darkness. One day, he says, all that will be swept aside by this character called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. That's why Christmas happened. God sent his son to be the light of the world. This light that Isaiah predicts is made true in the coming of the Son, Jesus Christ. He came to give us life. And, and, and the, the thing that the Bible teaches us is that, that he did that, not because he had walked away from us and decided one day, you know what, I'm going to come back to my people. Quite the opposite. He did that because we walked away from him. That's where the darkness comes from. It's not that he turned his back on us, leaving us in darkness. We left the light when we tried to do life on our own terms. That's how we all intuitively know things aren't as they should be. This great darkness that follows us around, that's within us, that's in our world. It's because we as individuals and we as humankind have walked away from the light. We've walked away from God. Just think for a moment or two, if you can, that's a bit, bit odd, but um, if you were God uh, and you created people to be in a loving relationship with you where they would enjoy you and, and, uh, and, and just love being with you and all the rest of it, and they cheated on you and they betrayed you and they walked away, what would you do? You'd probably turn away from them. I know I would. You probably think to yourself, well, you've turned your back on me, I'll turn my back on you. If it was down to me, I'd probably crush the world into a 
piece of dust or a giant fireball or something like that and start again. Just rub it out, right? They don't deserve anything. And God would have had every right to do that. He's the creator. He can do what he wants. But he didn't. Instead, God chose the most costly option. He chose Christmas. He sent his son, his only son, his most treasured possession into the world that had walked away from him into darkness so that we can have the light. He chose Christmas. He offered us a way back to him as sinful and fallen and messed up as we are, as I am and as you are. He chose the most difficult option so that we can come back to know God. Right? We can be restored. We can be forgiven. We can receive forgiveness. And so when Caesar Augustus was in charge, and when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, this unmarried teenage girl gave birth to the Son of God behind a pub in the outskirts of Bethlehem. They put him into a feeding trough because there was nowhere else to lay him. Jesus was born into that environment. You see, at Christmas, he, he stepped down into the darkness for you. That's what Christmas is all about. And fast forward about 30 years, <clears throat> and, and uh, on one, one level, life didn't end well for Jesus. He ended up on the cross, right, where he was crucified, about 30 years later. And uh, they, 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 they put him on the cross on, on fr- Friday. It was Good Friday. That's why we call it Good Friday. Um, but it wasn't good at the time. It came to midday, the time when the sun is the highest in the sky. We know that. The brightest time of the day um, should have been blazing sunshine. But according to those two gospel writers, Luke and Matthew, something very strange happened at that moment. Because it said it went dark for three hours. In the middle of the day, it went dark. Blackness. Why should that happen? Why darkness? You see, on the cross, as we learn, as we read the Bible, Jesus was taking upon himself our darkness. This, this, this physical darkness that seemed to uh, wrap the city was a symbol of the darkness that he took upon himself. It was, it was our sin. It was our wandering. It was our brokenness. It was our separation from God. Jesus was taking that on himself. He did what you and I could never do. He did it in our place. And then he died. But as it goes on to tell us, he rose again on the third day. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. That is referring to what Jesus did for you on your behalf in his death and his resurrection. Oh, come, let us adore him. This is why we've just been singing that. It's why Christmas is good news. That's why it is a source of great joy for all people. Because after Christmas comes Easter. Amen. We've been thinking about that Christmas happens. And we've just been thinking about why Christmas happens to deal with our darkness. Thirdly then, and finally, I want to I wanna help us, uh, help you, as it were, get into the Christmas spirit. Because if it is true what we've been saying and reading and thinking, then it changes everything, right? 
If it's true of you, it changes you. So the question is, how do you go from seeing Christmas as a basically a sort of commercial time of year, a few days off work, to seeing it as a rich, life-giving, and awe-inspiring celebration of what God has done for you in his son, Jesus Christ? How do you move from one to the other? The answer is this. When you understand that Christmas is really about God doing something for you, it will radically transform your view of what we're here to do this morning. When you see Jesus not just as a character in a nice religious story, but as your Prince of Peace, as your wonderful counselor, as your savior who went to the cross for, the, for you, then you will receive this great gift and get into the Christmas spirit. I think how you respond to the Christmas message, even this morning, makes all the difference. And I think just to break it down a little bit, I'm going to give three ways that you might like to respond to the central claims of the Christian story, the Christian message. And we're going to use three characters from the Christmas narrative um, to sort of hang our, our hat on. So there's three ways that you can respond. Um, first of all, you can respond like the Magi. You know, you've heard of them. Uh, the wise men. Right? They were the group of, of intellectuals, um, philosophers, scientists, uh, they'd never heard of the Messiah. They're not, they, they weren't uh, from a Jewish heritage. They're far away. All this was new to them. But they began their journey from a long way away towards Jesus, and they got there by following the evidence. Right? They remember they, they followed the star. They were, they were stargazers. They investigated. They, they went where it was pointing. And after an honest assessment... They eventually came and found Jesus and worshipped him. That's what they did. And so maybe that, that's like you. Uh, that's maybe the way that you want to respond at Christmas time. The Christmas message might be new to you, or maybe it's just something you want to investigate, it's something you want to learn more about. Uh, you're not from that background, perhaps. But you want to start to wrestle with the big questions. You want to start to look at the, the texts you know, the, uh, the original documents in the scripture, in the Bible, and think it through. And um, as, as I've mentioned earlier, one of the ways that you can act on this, I suppose, and pursue this is through the upcoming 3 to one course. Um, I mentioned that, and you've got your yellow cards on, on your sheet. Uh, but that's an opportunity for you to come along and just test and examine. You're not gonna, no one's going to put any pressure on you. You're not going to require you to convert to Christianity, you know, and unless you want to, I suppose, but, uh, you know, that's, that's not what it is. It's about creating an opportunity for you to learn and to, to think these things through. Um, and so you've got your card on the seat and the opportunity to put that at the back uh, when you're done. By the way, there's a pen on your seat as well. That is our gift to you. Happy Christmas. Um, the Foundation Church pen as well. You can't leave without a bit of merch. And uh, even if you don't sign the card, you're still welcome to take the pen and, um, you know, use it at work or give it away to someone, just a little memory about Foundation Church. Anyway, take the challenge. It's only for four weeks, the 3 to one course. That's the Magi. Maybe you're like them. There's another option, though. Maybe you're like another uh, character in the Christmas story, like Herod, King Herod. And he often, often comes across as the panto villain, doesn't he, in the story. Boo to Herod. Um, but I, I think Herod can represent more of us than we realize. Um, Herod, the king, is there to remind us that not everyone who hears the Christmas message is too pleased about it. You'd rather not hear about it, thank you very much. Um, because Herod is this king who 
built his identity around his power and his influence and, and being the king, his achievements. And so for him, Jesus was a challenge to all of that. For him, Jesus was not good news. Um, for him, Jesus was a threat. So as we heard read to us, he took steps to protect himself against this new king. And maybe that's something closer to how you're feeling at the moment. Uh, the claims of Christmas that I've just been trying to explain are too much. Not because you don't understand it, but because you fear of losing too much of your own life. If you accept him as king, then you have to let go of other things and you would prefer not to, thank you very much. But Jesus goes on to teach in the Bible that if you build your life on anything but me, it's going to be shaky ground. If you build your life on anything but me, Jesus says, it will not bear the weight that you place on it. It can't. It can't. Jesus says, only I am strong enough and secure enough for you to build your life on me. Many of us will try to build our lives on, on multiple things, sometimes a combination of these things. It could be for you your career, success in, your, in the workplace. For others, it could be physical appearance building your identity around how you look. For others, it can be reputation among other people, being regarded in some way or other. For others, it's money. You build your, your, your life around that. For others, it's health. And all these things may be good things in, on one level, but they can't sustain you. They can't hold you firm. They will wobble one day. Whether it's your career, you may end up getting made redundant, or your physical appearance, it will fade with time. Mine does, that's for sure. Your reputation can be trashed in one moment. Your wealth can go down the drain. Your health can be destroyed by that diagnosis that you didn't want to hear about. You can't build your life on that. But Jesus says, you can build your life on me. I'm the only one that's strong enough, secure enough. Jesus says, I will never disappoint you, unlike that romantic relationship. He says, I will never leave you. You can depend on me. I will never fade away, unlike your looks or your health. I will never disappoint you. I will never be unfaithful to you. That's what Jesus says to you this morning. And if this is you, if you align yourself to this position a little more, can I encourage you this morning to keep thinking? Keep asking. Don't, don't push him away. At the very least, know what it is you're turning down before you decide to turn it down. Many people reject what they think is the offer of Jesus, and actually they're rejecting something that uh, the Bible would not recognize, that, that, that Jesus would not himself recognize. So make sure you know what you're turning down before you actually turn it down. And for you, you might find benefit as well from the 3-2-1 course. Uh, you might just want to join us on Sunday mornings and just come in um, as you please and sit at the back and just take it all in and, and see what you make of all this Christian stuff. We'd love to have you with us. That's the second option. And then the third and final option about how we can get into the Christmas spirit, like the Magi, like Herod, third and finally, like Mary. Mary. She was told the Christmas message by an angel. Uh, we had that read to us this morning. And it's just amazing, her response to this revelation from God. This angel appeared to her, you remember, and said to her, in nine months you're going to have a baby who is going to save the world, 
but it's not going to be Joseph's. See, believing that message was going to cost her. Saying yes to to God, effectively, was going to cost her. She would always be seen as the girl who got pregnant as a teenager, as a young teenager, before she was married. In that that culture, it was a particularly shameful thing. But despite the cost, she decided to trust God's plan. She believed him. She went with him. She responded in faith, and she gave herself to God in response. Amazing example. And so maybe in some ways that reflects you as you sit and listen to these things and hear these scripture readings this morning. Maybe you are starting to see Jesus in a new light. Maybe you know that he has something that you need and only he offers. He has that forgiveness, that peace, that restoration, that power that you have been craving for. And you're realizing this morning that's available to you. Maybe you've seen today what God has done to win you to himself. And so you want to receive this gift by trusting in him and saying yes to God. So which is it? I know it's a bit of a rough sketch, but do you align yourself more with the Magi? Or with Herod? Or with Mary? We're coming in a few moments um, for a time to pray. I'm going to pray out loud in a few moments, and you're very welcome to uh, use these words um, as your prayer. And uh, you can say uh, you know, a quiet amen at the end of it, if you wish. Um, and it just might be your way of saying, yes, what you have just prayed is my prayer too. I believe that, I want that, and I'm receiving that today in Jesus' name. But let's have a few moments um, of, of reflection. Why don't we do that? Um, maybe just 30 seconds or so, just quiet reflection, and then we'll pray, and then we'll close out with our final carol. So a few moments of quiet reflection.